Hey class, uh, today we're going to be answering the question of should you eat someone's brain during the apocalypse? And I don't know why this is a question or a thought, but it was, and we're going to answer it. So first, the brain is a very complex part of the body and is responsible for just keeping us alive. I mean, it does everything. Uh, it's divided into four main parts, the cerebrum, Dicephalon, brainstem, and the cerebellum. The cerebrum is the biggest part of the brain and is divided into two hemispheres as well as many different regions. It controls the higher functions of the brain and is responsible for the majority of the work done and information stored in the brain. <clears throat> the dicephalon is located in between the two hemispheres and of the cerebrum. It is made up of the thalamus, hypothalamus, optic tract, pituitary glands, mammillary glands, and pineal gland. The thalamus serves as a relay station for sensory information. The hypothalamus maintains homeostasis, and the limbic system controls your emotional responses. The brainstem connects the brain to the spinal cord. It is made up of midbrain, pons, and the medulla oblongata. These things work together to connect the brain to the rest of the body as well as transmit information within the brain. The cerebellum, like the cerebrum, is composed of two hemispheres. It brings in information regarding body position, such as balance and movement, and sends out information to correct it. The primary function of the cerebral spinal fluid is to cushion the brain within the skull and serves as a shock absorber for the central nervous system. Cerebral spinal fluid also circulates nutrients and chemicals filtered from the blood and removes waste products from the brain. Cerebral spinal fluid is responsible for providing impact protection along with filtering out waste from the blood, removing the waste from the brain. The diencephalon is important because of the function it does. It is located between the two hemispheres and it is responsible for the thalamus. It is the central relay station for impulses, pinpoints where the impulse is from, and helps with awareness of certain sensations. It also has hypothalamus, which maintains homeostasis. It also regulates blood pressure, body temperature, water and electrolyte balance, control of hunger and body weight, movements and secretions of the stomach, which stimulates the pituitary gland, and helps with sleep and wakefulness. It also contains the limbic system, which controls emotional responses, producing fear, anger, pleasure, and sorrow. The brain stem serves as a link between the brain and the spinal cord. It plays a key role in many involuntary and voluntary functions, like breathing, heart rate, digestion, and motor functions. When there is an issue with the brainstem, transmission of signals from the brain to the spinal cord may get interrupted or cease. Sensory information may not make it from the extremities to the brain, and information about movement or autonomic functions may never make it beyond the brainstem. The cerebellum is important for everyday functions that you and I both do. For instance, the cerebellum maintains balance, coordinates movements, coordinates eye movements, helps the body learn new motor movements, and has a role in thinking, including the processing of language and mood. To try and see the results of eating people's brains, we did research on a group of people in the highlands of Papua New Guinea in the 1950s. These people were called the Four. Out of their tribe of 11,000, each year, 200 people were dying of a mysterious disease they called Kuru, meaning shivering or trembling. 
Symptoms included trouble walking due to loss of control over their limbs, as well as loss of control over their emotions. As these symptoms progressed, eventually, the victims were unable to move, feed themselves, or control their body's functions. Soon, the cause of its disease was traced back to the practice of eating dead bodies at funerals. The four believed it was better to be eaten by loved ones than by worms and insects. That's kind of gross. The theory was proved when a group of chimpanzees were fed brains and also developed kuru. Many locals were convinced it was the result of sorcery. The disease primarily hit adult women and children younger than 8 years old. Shirley Lindenbaum, a medical anthropologist, began to look into what was causing this mysterious illness. She tried mapping family trees, but discovered it wasn't genetic. It affected women and children in the same social groups, but not the same genetic groups. Soon it was traced to the practice of eating dead bodies of people at funerals. Ew. The four people did this as an act of love and grief. Women were the ones to cook and eat the bodies, since it was believed that they were capable of housing and taming dangerous spirits that would accompany a dead body. However, the women would also sometimes pass pieces of it to the young children until they reached a certain age. This is why it affected only women and young children. The disease turned out to be a twisted protein that compelled normal proteins on the surface of nerve cells in the brain to contort just like them. The so-called prions would eventually fold enough proteins to kill pockets of nerve cells in the brain, leaving it riddled with holes like a sponge. Kuru was found to be similar to Crutchfield Jacobs disease, which only affects one in a million people in the United States today. The difference was that it rarely comes into contact with other human tissue, while Kuru was being passed on through the eating of brain tissue. There are still many questions about how and why humans can get prion diseases. First of all, it's still a mystery why humans even have these proteins though the most widely accepted theory is that they play an important role in the protective coating around nerves. Another big question is how many of the diseases can jump species and can affect humans? Kuru provided that people can get a prion disease from eating infected people's brains. Mad cow disease, which is similar to Kuru, showed that people can get a prion disease from eating an infected cow. What researchers are trying to find out now is if there are other prion diseases that are transferable from other animals. No evidence has been found yet, but we'll see. <laughs> the brain consists of nerves that all serve specific functions that are important to the proper functioning of your body. The protein that caused the Kuru disease ate away these nerves. This is why victims experienced inability walking, controlling their emotions, and eventually moving at all. The cerebellum normally regulates motor movements such as posture, balance, coordination, and speech resulting in smooth and balanced muscular activity. The limbic system is normally the control center for emotions. The hypothalamus regulates homeostasis, which includes bodily functions. The motor area and the cerebrum controls fine muscle movements such as those that would be required to feed oneself. Since the Kuru protein was killing pockets of nerve cells in the brain that left holes, these areas were unable to function properly as they were basically being eaten away. So, if it came down to it, and I'm starving, should I eat somebody's brain? 
The problem is that there is no food, but there are other people around you and you need food. So the question is, should you eat someone's brain during the apocalypse? If you need food and all other parts of the person are gone, then you don't have much of a choice. Otherwise, you will die. But just make sure that the brain you're eating isn't from an alive person, but also that it's not super old. However, you should not make a habit of this because there are tribes around the world who practice brain eating and they develop something like mad cow disease. This practice leads to premature deaths. The human brain has a protein called prion, and sometimes it can turn into a harmful isoform of prion, and it doesn't break down when you digest it. As food, this protein is toxic to humans, and if the brain has this protein, then you could possibly contract Kuru disease. It is incurable and will degrade the nerves over a long period of time. It starts with headaches and joint pains, loss of coordination, tremors, ulcerated wounds, which get infected, and later the person dies due to severe infection. Also, if the person's brain you are eating had a disease, then the chances of you contracting it become significantly higher. And now for our bonus segment, Brain Myths with Egan. There are a lot of myths uh, regarding our brains. One of these myths is that we use only 10% of our brains, and that's not true. One easy example of this would be if we only use 10% of our brains, we really wouldn't have to worry about brain damage because we'd only have to worry about that little 10% that we use. So we do not only use 10% of our brains, we actually use a lot more. And even when we're sleeping, there's still much of our brain that is functioning and being used. Another uh, myth is that people are right or left brain. While you may be more right-brained or more left-brained, you're not solely left or right-brained. Um, everybody uses a little bit of each side. And the common myth to go with this is that right-brained people tend to be more creative and expressive, while those who are left-brained tend to be more analytical. Another common myth is that humans have the biggest brains. This isn't true either. Humans have about a three-pound brain. And a sperm whale has an 18-pound brain. So there's a large difference. Now, you might say that humans have the largest brain relative to their size, which, again, would be not true. That actually belongs to the shrew, which its brain takes up about 10% of its body size. So even though humans are the smartest creature, we do not have the biggest brain relative to our size or just in volume. Another myth that people think is that there are 100 billion neurons in the human brain. While it's not that far off, a fun fact is it's actually only closer to 85 billion neurons. And for the last myth, this one is probably the most closely related to eating brains, but also seems the most far-fetched and kind of crazy that people actually believe this. This myth is that eating somebody else's brain gives you all their knowledge and abilities. And that's obviously not true because the people who practice brain eating would be a lot stronger, maybe not so much smarter because they eat brains, but have a lot more abilities than your average human. And if this was the case, I'm sure that brain eating would be a much bigger and more common practice. So, again, this is not true. 
and that's the end of our podcast tune in next time <laughs>